According to National Geographic, more than 80% of the oceans remain unexplored. Humanity has photographed and mapped more of the moon and the surface of Mars than we have of our own ocean. It's not unfair to view the depth and breadth of the ocean as nearly unsearchable. Well, there's another thing that's truly unsearchable, spiritually speaking, and that's what we're going to explore on this episode of By the Verse. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of By the Verse. If you have not already subscribed to this podcast, please, please click that button, subscribe. That way you will know when there is a new episode. Well, on our last episode, we explored chapter two of the book of Ephesians, and we said the big thing there is that Paul gives us a before and after picture of what it looks like to be in Christ. Before Christ, we were dead, not just sick, not just weak, or uh, not just uh, in great need. We were literally spiritually dead and unable to respond to God in any meaningful way. But in Christ, we've been made alive. And those of us who are Gentiles were even further pushed back. We were even further outside of all of the blessings available to the people of God. But in Christ, we now have all of the blessings that were available to the people who are the people of God. So we're going to hop into chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Let's stop right there. Paul starts this out by saying, for this reason, which he's going to say again later in this chapter, all the way down at verse 14, and we haven't got there yet, but I want to point out right from the beginning that it appears that Paul is ready to break out into a prayer and into praise yet again. We've already seen him do that in this book, but he has to stop for a moment to give kind of an aside. It's almost as if you're having a conversation with somebody, you're talking about one thing, but you remember, oh wait, I need to say this other thing, and then eventually you get back to what you were trying to say when you started. And that's really what the second half of verse 1 all the way to the end of verse 13 uh, really is. It's kind of a parentheses side note uh, that Paul is working through. So the first thing he says in verse 2 is he's assuming that they have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to him. Now, 
Paul spent a great deal of time in the church of Ephesus. And one of the things we didn't point out about this book earlier on is that there are no personal references in the book, uh, very much unlike many of his other letters where he does address people and he does greet people very specifically. Well, he spent a couple years ministering at this church in Ephesus. You would think he would say something personal. Well, this is why scholars believe that this was a letter that uh, went out by intention to the whole region and not just Ephesus. It may have taken on that name because that was a very significant uh, city in the area. But this is probably more a regional or circular letter. And so Paul is assuming that the people in this area who are reading this have probably heard of him. And that is a fair assessment because when you read chapter Uh, chapter 19 of the book of Acts, it details some of Paul's uh, ministry in Ephesus. And Paul had a very special ministry there. Specifically, one of the things it talks about is how he ministered uh, boldly. He ministered first uh, to the Jews there, uh, but then as he encountered some uh, some pushback, then he began to minister uh, to the, the Gentiles. And in verse 10 of the 19th chapter of the book of Acts, it says he continued this way for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now, this is important because... Luke here in the book of Acts is trying to tell us that Paul's ministry in Ephesus was not just about Ephesus. It was a regional ministry. Uh, People uh, knew about him who were both the, the Jews and who were both the Greeks. And the next few verses in the chapter talked about the seven sons of Sceva and that whole thing. And Luke concludes that saga in, in verse 17 of the 19th chapter of the book of Acts by saying, and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. Okay. And so the, the things about Paul that, uh, he's assuming people would have heard about is his ministry to the Greeks and and how he talked about Christ, not only this this private little Jewish uh, religion, but that it was much broader than that. So here in Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter three, he's assuming that the people in this whole region, this region of Asia Minor, have heard about his ministry, and that is a fair assumption. And he calls it a stewardship of grace. Now, this is important because Paul understands that he's been given special grace to do what God called him to do. Okay, and he actually talks about it a little bit later as a gift of grace. Okay, he has a gift of grace upon his life to minister in a special, unique way to the Gentiles. And so here he calls it the stewardship of God's grace, meaning you're aware of how I have managed this gift of grace in my life. You're aware of how I used the grace of God that he had given me to minister to uh, the, the Greeks there and to the Gentiles. And so when he says that, that uh, he's been given this uh, revelation okay, of this mystery in verse 3, we don't know how that revelation came about. We don't know 
if it was the Lord Jesus who spoke to him directly. We don't know if it came from the Holy Spirit as he was studying the scriptures. But what we do know is that he didn't get it from the other apostles. He didn't get it from the other uh, leaders of the church because he says he has this by revelation. So in some way, the Lord helped him to understand something that he hadn't previously understood. And so when he concludes verse three by saying, as I have written briefly, I believe that's a reference to chapter one and two, because he's already written about this mystery of Christ, but it's here in chapter three that I think it it reaches its crescendo, okay? So when he says in verse four, uh, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Um, what is this mystery of Christ? Well, it's important to note that Paul has been making a critical argument here for quite some time, uh, all the way back in chapter one. But before I get to that, I want to point out that he talks about the mystery of Christ elsewhere in his writings, and people will sometimes think that maybe these things are contradictory, or maybe there's multiple mysteries. I personally take it as one big mystery that has many different uh, aspects to it. So let me give you an example from the book of Colossians in the first chapter, because remember, we said earlier on that Colossians is like a companion book to the book of Ephesians. So Colossians chapter 1, verse uh, 24, starting there, it says, "'Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake.'" And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints." To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay, so when you read this, it sounds very similar to this very first part of uh, chapter 3 in Ephesians, because he's talking about a mystery that wasn't made known before. People didn't fully understand it and get it in the past, but now it has been revealed to God's holy apostles and prophets. And there in Colossians, he says that the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now that's significant because the Jews expected their king to come and to reign physically on the earth. Okay. They did not understand that he would actually come physically, but that he would first reign inside of us before he later comes and reigns physically on the earth as a king. So one facet of the mystery of Christ is that Christ reigns in us and not just on the earth as king, but the other facet of it that he deals with here in chapter 3 of Ephesians is that the Gentiles are now heirs. They're fellow heirs, as he says in verse 6 of chapter 3, and they are members of the same body and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus. Now, this is unique because in the past, so prior to all of this, 
the way a Gentile could be saved was essentially by dissolving into Judaism. So Gentiles could come to God and they could come to faith, but they essentially had to forsake their Gentileness. Uh, They had to forsake all of their culture, and they had to take on not only just the belief in Yahweh, the belief in one God, the belief in the Jewish God, but they had to also take on all of the dietary things. They had to take on circumcision. uh, They had to, to take on all the festivals, and even still, they were second class in the people of God because they still couldn't go beyond that dividing wall that we talked about in chapter 2. So they were included, but not like fully included. And, And that really is a shame. But Paul says that the mystery that even the holy men of God in the past didn't understand wasn't just that Gentiles could be saved and that ultimately a light would come from the Jews to the Gentiles, okay, because that's in the Old Testament. Gentiles could be saved, but that they would be essentially equal, that they wouldn't have to dissolve into into Judaism, but that actually the Jews and the Gentiles would be equal under Christ as the head of one body. And when he says there in verse 6, members of the same body, What's translated of the same body is actually kind of a newer word that they don't really find so much in Greek before Paul used it here. Now, new words are being entered into the dictionary every year. Languages grow, they expand. Um, But here, uh, Paul may have made up this word. Now, we can't say that for sure that he made up the word, he coined the word. Maybe it was a newer word that he knew of uh, at the time. But he almost had to coin a new word in order to describe this new phenomenon that Gentiles weren't just going to dissolve into uh, being Jews, but that God was doing a completely new thing in a new body called the church, the body of Christ, and that Christ would reign as the head of that church. So let's hop into verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the, pl- what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Okay, so again, this has kind of undertones of what we read in the first chapter of Uh, Colossians, they pair together very well. But what Paul is further stating here is that uh, his role in the kingdom at this time was to uh, explain to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That is what he preached to the Gentiles, that what they have in Christ is, it's not just the riches of Christ, 
okay? It is so vast and so deep and so wide and so immense that the best way he could describe it was not just by calling it riches, which speaks of its wealth, its value, but he calls it unsearchable. In other words, no matter what, you really can't get to the full bottom of it. It is so vast. It is so big. That is a a joyous gospel to share. Not a gospel of, well, you're going to go to hell because you're so bad and an angry gospel. This is a positive uh, gospel. This is a gospel that explores just the, the wealth of what we have in Christ Jesus. And why wouldn't you want that? And Paul says that this was kind of hidden to people uh, in the past, but that through the church, okay, this new body, believing Jew and believing Gentile with Christ as the head, that, that that reality, okay, it displays the manifold wisdom of God. Now, now this term, manifold, it's kind of like a term for embroidery, okay? That's the word picture. If you have looked at some really elaborate embroidered patterns, okay, they might have multiple colors, multiple shapes, okay? When we live and we understand what God is doing in our time, and maybe we're men and women of understanding, and we can even see spiritually just beyond our time, like the prophets did of old, Really, what we're understanding is a few stitches at a time. We see the thread and what color it is and the needle of God going in and out of the fabric, and we can understand that God is stitching this thing together. But because we're so limited in our scope of understanding, we're not able, while we're living in the stitches, to take a step back and to see the big picture of what God has been embroidering. Well, Paul says through the church now that now we're finally at a point where as humanity, we can take a step back and we can see the big picture of what God has been stitching together really from the beginning. That's why he calls it the eternal purposes of God in Christ Jesus, which he taught us about in the first chapter when he says that, you know, pretty much from the foundation of the world, this was the plan of God, okay, before the foundation of the world, okay, Christ was the plan from the beginning. But we we were living in the stitches, in the turns, in the loops, in the changing of the thread color. That's what we were living in. So we saw bits and pieces and twists and turns, but we didn't see the whole picture of it until the church came into view and we could see it. And not only could we not see it, but the interesting thing here is that he says the church is the display of the manifold wisdom of God, meaning the the wisdom of God is, is what God has been working on and to and through, you know, from eternity. It's not only displaying it to the world, but Paul says in, in verse 10, it's displaying it to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Well, who are they? Well, they are, they're angelic beings. They, they are uh, beings that are greater than us. Now, he's referred to heavenly places now. I believe this is the third time. And in all three chapters up to this point, he's referred to the heavenly places, okay? So what he could be referring to here is uh, demonic powers, because again, they know some of what God is doing. They know some of the plan. They know pieces of it, but they're not all-knowing. 
They don't know everything that God has always been up to and everything that God is going to do. So their knowledge is limited. And not only is their knowledge limited, but the knowledge of angels as well is limited. And again, Paul uh, Peter uh, talks about this uh, when he talks about the angels uh, looking into these things. Well, these things is the mystery uh, of God, of the mystery of Christ, and, and what Christ is uh, doing uh, in putting this body together and bringing his plan together. So not even the angels know all of the details of everything that God has always been doing. They see the stitching, and they have a different view of it than we do, but they hadn't seen all of it come together yet. If they knew everything, then they too would be all-knowing, and they would be like God, and they are not, okay? They are higher up in the, the hierarchy than we are, but they are not God. And so the church that Christ has put together as the head uh, with Jews and Gentiles together as equals, well, that was a mystery, but now it has been revealed. And because of it, Paul says in verse 12, we can come to God with boldness, now, that word uh, boldness there has to do with uh, speaking freely. Now, I've never been in the armed services, but if you watched movies about the military, an inferior officer may ask a superior officer for permission to speak, speak freely. And they'll do that because maybe what they're going to say might come across as um, uh, disrespectful or, you know, they don't want the superior officer to think they're questioning their judgment. And so they'll ask for permission to say something that otherwise might sound like it's out of line. Well, Paul is saying here in this word boldness, we already have permission to speak freely to God. We have that because of Christ. And we can go to, we have this access with confidence uh, through our faith in him. So there's no reason then for these Gentiles that Paul is writing to, to think, oh man, I can't believe Paul is going through all this. This is so bad. This is such a, a tragedy. What is God doing now? No, Paul is saying, listen, this is for your glory. Like I'm in these chains for a really good reason. And then it's finally at verse 14 that he gets back to what he was trying to say at the beginning of the chapter. Verse 14 says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So we started our episode today talking about the depths of the ocean, the vastness of the ocean, and how for us it just seems uh, still a bit unsearchable with the limits of technology that we have. Well, here Paul is getting back to that idea. He's he's already talked about the, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and his prayer for, for these believers is that they can be strengthened by the Spirit. And this word strengthen here uh, is not just like a an inner strength, but more of like an ability. Like you're strong in certain areas and you're weak in other areas. So you have certain abilities and certain uh, things that you don't do so well. Well, this is what he's referring to. He wants them to be strengthened so that they have the ability to understand the breadth and length and height and depth 
okay, of the love of Christ. Now, remember we said that Ephesians is Romans light. Well, what does this passage remind you of? Verse 18. It should remind you of what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8 at towards the end where he's talking about the love of God, you know, who can know the, the depth, the height, the breadth, the width, all of that. It should remind you of that because it's the same idea here. It is unsearchable. It is vast. He calls it, he says it surpasses knowledge, which means you really can't even fully know it, but through the Spirit of God, we need to try to understand it more and more and know it more and more and explore it more and more that we might be filled uh, with the fullness of God. Well, who is the fullness of God? It is Christ uh, himself. And so Paul can't help then but to erupt in this, this beautiful praise in doxology in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ, Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. He just can't help but to erupt in praise as he's uh, thinking about what God has done. It truly is far more abundantly than what we can even think, what we can even ask, okay? So here is the takeaway from this chapter. Paul lets us know that he has been given a stewardship of grace, and that stewardship of grace has been so that he could preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to the Gentiles. Let me ask you, what have you been given a stewardship of grace to do? What is God's grace upon your life to do? Paul calls it a gift of grace. He, he, he refers to it as the power at work within him to, to do what God has called him to do. What is that for you? Because that is what you really need to lean into because that is where you're going to see the glory of God shine through as you explore uh, just this beautiful gift that you are stewarding from God in your life. Well, that is all we have for you today on this episode of By the Verse. I can't wait to explore chapter four of the book of Ephesians with you. Make sure you like it and subscribe to this channel. Share it wherever you can. And I can't wait to talk to you next time on By the Verse.